Hello, I'm with my guest, Maren Lauka, who is a decision coach. Um, I'm excited to have you on as a guest today. I'm going to turn it over to you and let you first tell us a little bit about yourself. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to have this conversation. I've enjoyed all of our conversations so far. Um, I'm really excited to talk to your specific audience. So as you said, I'm a decision coach. I have a master's degree in positive psychology and my coaching and yoga certifications. So I combine all of that to create a really wonderful practice for mainly women. I do work with a few men, um, but mainly women to either reconnect with or <laughs> connect with for the first time their authentic self, their authentic voice, their values and desires and goals. And I found, especially for women and definitely in our twenties, it can be really challenging to differentiate our voice and our desires and values and goals from the pressures and expectations and obligations put on us or implied by everyone around us. So I'm really passionate about supporting this group and supporting this mission to help more people start making decisions from a place of authenticity. And that leads to all the wonderful things that we want, whether it's wealth or success or feelings of fulfillment, meaningful life, all of that is backed by the research. And also I see it every day. Awesome. Before we kind of get into decision-making, can you tell us a little bit about what life in your twenties was like for you? Um, I know you said you got a master's in positive psychology, but what was like your undergrad? grad experience like or um, kind of your first job, but what were some of your um, highlights, I guess, of your 20s? Yes. <laughs> yes. And I am still in my 20s. I'm turning 28 in a week, actually. So right at the reaching the top of my 20s. Um, but yeah, great question. And definitely was a ride. I think a lot of individuals <laughs> have experienced that as well in their 20s. So I started off my undergrad experience after high school at the University of Colorado Boulder as a dance major. And I was so passionate about dance. I thought that's what I would do full time. And the program wasn't quite aligned. And also at that time, I was struggling with an eating disorder and the dance industry plus eating disorder does not go well. Um, unfortunately, is all too common, but definitely was not okay for my mental or physical or well-being on a whole. And so because of that reason, I transferred to the University of St. Thomas in Minnesota, and I finished my uh, undergrad degree with a degree in psychology. I bounced around a lot in undergrad to figure out and land in psychology, but that's where I landed. And during that time, I was introduced to positive psychology. I studied abroad in Denmark, and that's where I took my first positive psych class. I decided if I want to go on to school and continue studying, the only thing I'm passionate enough about to continue studying is this field of positive psychology. So I applied to the only PhD program in the country of positive psych. And that's at Claremont graduate university in California. I went there, I started with a PhD and then decided that I don't want to research so much, but I want to be on the practical side of it. So that's why I ended up leaving with my master's degree. And right after that, I started my business, but I was still doing a few things on the side for financial reasons. And also because I was still figuring out exactly what I wanted to do with my life. Um, and so I was an evaluator for a while. I was a fitness coach. I was a yoga instructor. Um, and now through, <laughs> through the years, I have at last landed full-time, fully self-employed coaching individuals one-on-one -on -one, in group and speaking. Yeah, I know we talked about this a little bit. Um, 
because I think in the field of psychology, it's pretty much, I don't want to say you're pressured to get a PhD, but it's kind of like the unsaid, like, oh, (laughs) what are you going to do with just, and I say just in quotes, a bachelor's in psychology. It's Mm -hmm. pretty much pushed that to really get a career in psychology, you have to either get a master's or PhD. But um, can you talk us through kind of what helped you make that decision you started in a PhD, but then decided to um, pursue a master's instead. So can you talk to us about how you made that decision for yourself? Absolutely. I am so happy to talk about this because every time I do, I have so many individuals tell me, oh my gosh, I've been there. The amount of med students who left med school, PhD students who left the PhD program, um, individuals who are in grad school or completing grad school and semi-questioning that decision is remarkable at this point to me. And likely because I now have had so many conversations because it's part of my story. Um, but it's definitely something that I think is more common than definitely more common than I thought it was when I was in that process of making that decision. Um, and even rewinding before I accepted admittance to the PhD program, I write about this in my book. I was sitting in, um, a a room with a bunch of other PhD candidates and the founder of positive psychology, which is Mihai Csikszentmihalyi. That's who I studied under. He has since passed recently. So rest in peace to Mihai. Um, But we were sitting in this room and he's the founder of this field, like a big name. And I raised my hand and I was like, what could I defer my admittance, like wait another year. And it felt like everyone looked at me. Like I had said, I was speaking another language. It was an absurd question to ask. I didn't realize it at the moment, but in hindsight, I realized how that wasn't a thought to anyone else to even question deferring. It wasn't even that I was saying no at that point. Um, but that's the kind of pressure that I was feeling. Then I accepted, I didn't defer. I accepted right away. I went into the program. And then when I was feeling like something was off and I was like, you know, I think I want to do something a little different than I thought I was going to be a professor and go the research route. I was like, I think I need something else. Almost everyone. And for sure my lens was biased because it was feeling like an angsty time for me. Um, But it felt like almost everyone was saying, you are ridiculous. Why would you ever leave this program? You're already in it. So few people get accepted to this program. It's the only PhD program for positive psych in the country. You're studying under Mihai Csikszentmihalyi and other fantastic names. Um, You're in California. All these reasons why it made no sense to leave. And yet my gut feeling was, I'm not well here, not in the way that I was an undergrad, like I explained earlier, um, but just in the way that I didn't feel like I was flourishing, which felt highly ironic because I was studying flourishing (laughs) because that is positive psych. And I thought (laughs) if I can't apply what I'm learning in my classes to create my own good life, why am I studying it? It felt highly contradictory. Um, And so definitely what I, I did, I ultimately had support from my parents and from my friends. It's not like they were, you know, going to shun me if I, if I made that decision. Um, It just definitely felt like I was making a a decision that was against the status quo. And because of that, I intentionally brought on my own coaches and my own um, external support systems that I knew would be unbiased, um, a little more unbiased than those who care so deeply about me and my success and where I could really sort out, why am I feeling this way? Can I build the confidence in this decision? Because it is so different than what everyone else is advising. 
And it was through that support with my coaches. And I remember the distinct calls when I was looking out my window, I, I was on the phone with my coach and I just had that gut sinking feeling, but also exciting at the same time of like, yeah, I'm leaving, I'm leaving the program. I'm graduating with my master's, which is still a huge accomplishment, but wow. At the time it felt like, it felt like I, I like I was pushing up a raging river. Like I was going the complete opposite way that I quote unquote should be doing. And I know, because I've talked to so many people about this. I know if you, whoever is listening is feeling the same, you are definitely not alone. There is a whole group of us <laughs> that has gone through that type of decision. Yeah. I'm glad you said that because I think there's almost this pressure to complete a program, no matter what, because you went through the application process, you were accepted in it. And yeah, but I'm glad that you were able to listen to your gut instead of giving in to that pressure. Mm-hmm. And I think um, this is exactly what my listeners need, that you don't have to necessarily, even if you start something and then decide, oh, it's actually not for me, you don't have to stick with it. At least you know now, have that experience under your belt. Um, so don't feel like you have to stick something out just because you started with it. And that goes for relationships, that goes for programs, that goes for careers, that goes for anything, that goes for moving. Right now I'm moving back where we just left a year ago, and so we're changing our decision about where we're living. I think the more I practice this muscle of I can decide again, I can begin again and make a new decision, the easier it gets. Um, and yes, at first it can feel like the hardest thing in the world and it definitely gets easier. And after some time it can, it can almost seem silly that we're, <laughs> that we're so caught up in finishing the thing or checking the box when we can actually just scrap the list altogether. Yeah. Do you think it's more so people look at it as quitting is such a bad thing, but it's not necessarily <laughs> quitting. You're just, I think pivoting, honestly. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. That is a story in the book as well. Um, and I actually have an activity in the book outline to create your quit list. I encourage quitting, not, not the type of quitting. I think that most of us assume like you're talking about where it feels like, Oh my gosh, I'm, I'm quitting. I'm not following through. I'm giving up on myself. That's a different feeling. What I'm talking about is what is the thing, you know, for sure, even if it's a glimmer of, I want to be more fulfilled or something doesn't feel right. So it doesn't have to be so specific or so certain in, in the sense of a tangible thing, but what is the, what is your beacon of light? What is your gold star? And then quit everything else (laughs) that doesn't feel aligned with that. And give it a fair shot. And, you know, there's definitely nuance to that practice that I outline more in the book. Um, but the create your quit list is something that has been highly valuable to me and has helped to diminish those feelings of guilt and, um, hesitancy that you're totally right. A lot of us hold with quitting anything. Yeah. So can you share what made you decide to ultimately become a decision coach in the first place? Yeah. So I, as many coaches, and I think I can actually broaden that even more to entrepreneurs and business owners. So I'm sure you can (laughs) um, (laughs) relate with this as well. It started off casting a really wide net. I, like I said, right after grad school, I was doing evaluation and yoga and speaking and coaching. And I was just trying a bunch of things on in terms of where my skill set met the needs of the individuals that I was connecting with. And it started when I really honed in on coaching and thought, okay, this is the pillar that I really am passionate about. And I know I'm supporting a lot of people through this and getting great feedback. Um, And then it came down to, okay, what's the niche here? And it took me a while to figure out 
really where I can best serve. And I, um, it, a part of it was really writing this book and figuring out, okay, out of, you know, my process of coaching. And also in my book, there's a lot of client stories and putting those together and finding the similarities and, and what type of practices really do I want to share out with the world? That's really where I landed on the word decision. And in hindsight, I realized that's what this has been all along is helping individuals make decisions. But I, I didn't find that word um, really until this year in 2021. Um, and now it makes so much sense. And my clients who have been working with me since the beginning, some of them, even before I founded my company, um, they're like this, yes, this makes, this makes so much sense. This is what has been happening all along. And it feels so good to have a word that a lot of us can just click with right away and say, mm -hmm. I need help making a, a decision. I go to Marin decision made in a really feel good way. <laughs> and then I can move on. Yeah, that was, I think, from uh, someone else that's in a psychology background, um, that's really psychologically deep because I think a lot of the work um, that people, coaches and counselors and just helping professions, it's not about giving people advice. It's mm -hmm. learning how to facilitate, learning, not learning, teaching them how to make their own decisions um, independently. And so I think that's psych from a psychological standpoint that's really deep um and I'm curious on if you have like I guess insight on why decision making seems to be especially hard for people in their 20s mm, yeah I kind of alluded to this earlier and from my perspective and working with my clients who are in their 20s there's so there's a few things going on and, and I'll highlight two. One is that we're transitioning from a period where we've had everything laid out for us and we've been able to just follow a process and check the boxes. And it's felt really good to have. So what happens with that is we have a built-in direction. We have built-in purpose. We have built-in goals. We have built-in deadlines and timelines and an organization and a structure and accountability because we're going through school, most of us. And then once we get into a career, that also is built in. And then also in a career, once you're there, there's still that drive to be promoted and work our way up and find exactly what interest in the company do we want to land in or wherever, whatever work takes you. Um, I actually just talked to someone who is uh, in, in the medical field and she's 28 and said, I never thought of life after 28. I just thought of life until 28 because I always had something to do and, and to accomplish and a place to be. And I, it was laid out for me. And now that I'm 28, why she's calling me, she's like, I don't know how to make decisions and a plan without a plan already in place. There isn't a next obvious thing. And furthermore, what happens, I think in our twenties that I've seen is that we also are coming into, of course, being our own individuals separate from our parents and family and friends and school and um, careers. We are starting to say, what am I separate from all of this? And that can be really challenging if up until that point, we've mainly for good reason, been listening to the advice of our advisors and teachers and professors and parents and friends. And it's, it's a new muscle really to build and to flex of listening to your own voice, differentiating your own desires, your own goals, your own wants. Um, and even having that, the toolkit to feel into what works for me and what doesn't, when do I feel good and healthy and when don't I, because even that has in a way been prescribed and 
explained to us up until a certain point in our adulthood. Yeah. I like that because I think a lot of times we look at what we should, again, Mm -hmm. I'm using quotes on the should, what we should be, um, really just, I think from a societal aspect, like these are kind of the milestones that you should do. So getting married and having children. And it's like, if someone doesn't want to have that at this stage in their life, that doesn't make them any less of an adult or any less happy. So I do, that really resonated with me because I think um, I had to let go of the shoulds and like society's timeline of what needs to happen before 30. Right. And just live life like for me and what makes me happy at this point in my life. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, as you say that something else that I see come up a lot for my clients in their twenties is that it can feel especially hard to be asking those questions and making those decisions when we're not yet clear on what we do want. So for instance, for individuals who are in a career or in a grad program, and they're like, I don't, and this was me too. It was like, I don't want this, what's currently happening. I don't want this path for myself. It doesn't feel good, but I don't know what I do want. So I don't know how to stand up for myself really when I'm faced with the friction from those around me and from, and from just seeing that this is the status quo path I could just continue following. And I don't know where I'm headed if I get off. And I think sometimes that prevents individuals from making a decision to change because they don't see what else is there. But if we never take at least a baby step away from that path, it's really hard to gather insight on what we do want because we're just going to be stuck in a place of where we're not feeling fulfilled and good. And so it does take a little bit. We don't have to quit the job or quit the program or do something super drastic right away, but at least put feelers out for, okay, yeah, I I don't know exactly what I don't want to do, but I do know I don't want to do what I'm currently doing. Mm -hmm. And so let's try a little experiment to see if these other things pique my interest enough to try it out a little more. Yeah, for sure. Um, I do want to give you a chance to just talk a little bit more specifically about your book, what led you to writing it and um, what can people expect out of your book? Yes. So my book is called ready enough. It's a seven step guide for hard decisions, which are authentic decisions. All what we've been talking about today, when you're going against the status quo, when you're, when you're trying to differentiate your own voice amidst the noise. And I outline it in a way that's super real. And again, it includes real stories with my clients and myself. Um, I share some, some personal stories about a relationship that was really tough for me to leave. Um, my big heartbreak in my twenties, as well as the PA. PhD switch and finding my career. And so I give a lot of real world examples. And also, as you said earlier, and I'm so grateful that you pointed this out, I'm never about giving advice. That's not what I do as a coach. I am very much a guide. And so this book, the subtitle is even your seven step guide. It's not advice. It's not me thinking, I know your answers. I don't know. (laughs) I don't know anyone else's life, especially someone who's reading a book and I've never met them. And so (laughs) (laughs) one of the very first chapters, one of the very first headings is I don't know what's best for you, which I um, adopted from my first life coach mentor, Kobe Kozlowski. And it's this Um, understanding that this book will guide you to find your own answers. And that's through inspiration from the stories that's through practices that are woven throughout. And that's also through this framework that once you learn it, 
you have seven steps to understand what you're going through when you're going through it. Again, it makes the intangible feel a little more tangible. And especially when we're in the midst of something that feels really uncertain, like making a change in our life or making a decision that feels really hard, it can feel super comforting to have a process that, you know, you're going through to say, Oh, this is, this is the, Oh shit moment, or this is the (laughs) trust the ride part of it. This is when I'm actually taking action and this is what's coming next. And this is what came before. So the whole process is outlined. And again, it's really meant to have the reader walk through it in their own way, implement those practices or the ones that stand out to them most, um, and really have some camaraderie among other individuals who have made tough decisions and to know that you're not alone in the decision that you're currently making. That's awesome. Um, Do you have anything else that you want to leave listeners with either just about decision-making or life in your twenties in general? more self-compassion. If we could all gift ourselves more self-compassion. Um, in fact, my master's thesis was on self-compassion. So not only does it feel good <laughs> to be a little kinder to ourselves, and I think we're, we all know that, that we could all be a little kinder to ourselves. but also the research shows over and over and over again, the benefits of self-compassion, which include things like goal attainment. And I think sometimes we have this concept in our mind that we have to be critical of ourselves, or we have to be hard on ourselves in order to accomplish goals, especially goals that feel really ambitious. Mm -hmm. And again, not only does that not feel good, but the other way that feels better to be kind to ourselves works better as well. And so if you're in a decision, if you're in the process of just learning about yourself, or you have a lot of questions on your mind, or maybe you just made a hard decision. I was just on a consult with someone the other day who had just made the decision to leave her family's business, which was a huge decision, obviously. Um, And on the other side of it, to hold so much compassion for herself to just rest and to trust and to be where she is and to, to grapple with the waves that follow that decision. Um, There's again, there's so much benefit in it. And also I think we all deserve, we all deserve a little more kindness as well. Um, and, and it's good for us. It's good for us all around. So as much self-compassion as we can gift <laughs> ourselves and encourage with others, the better. Yes. I always love to ask my guests this question. Um, what are you currently reading or just watching on any streaming service or TV? Mm, I was loaned a book from a friend. It's a really short read called Steal Like an Artist. And I was talking about, I'm starting my YouTube channel and exploring that as a means of really my creative outlet these days. And also where I can speak to a more um, diverse audience who it just makes it more approachable to be able to pop on YouTube and see my face. <laughs> and there's some friction about like, well, I got inspiration from this video style or this editing style, or how do I share an idea that for instance, like we're doing right now that I found in a book and, and, and quote, you know, appropriately. Um, but also where's that line between inspiration and this book is a really great permission slip to of course be respectful and, um, and cite and all the good things, but also to understand our whole life is inspiration. We're always feeding off each other. And it feels so good to have that permission slip to say, not only is it okay, but it's really amazing to see and to know that we are all gleaning inspiration off each other um, and can use that in our own lives, whether it's career, personal, or otherwise. Yeah, that's awesome. Can you share how people can find you online or social media? 
Yes, I have a gift for the podcast listeners. So if you want to get a peek of this book, I have chapter one for free at yesandbymarin.com slash ready enough. Um, and I'm sure the link will be somewhere, but yesandbymarin.com slash ready enough. And then on yesandbymarin.com, so my website, you can find all the links. Um, you can find my coaching, my one-on-one, as well as my group program. And then YouTube and Instagram are mainly where I hang out. Um, and so all of that, just head to the website and get that free first chapter. All right. Well, thank you, Marin, for being the guest today. This was really insightful and I'm right there with you at the top of my twenties. So I think a lot of time has been spent reflecting, not even just because of the pandemic, but the pandemic, I think gave me even Mm -hmm. more time to reflect, but I feel like, um, when you get to a point in your twenties, when you're so close to being 30, you spend a lot of time kind of just I guess reflection is what I'm trying to say, um, about your earlier twenties. And then also you're at like this crossroads of like looking ahead too. So you're in this weird, like, like, I don't know, middle ground, Mm -hmm. (laughs) I guess is what I, what I would call it. So I'm glad that I'm not alone in that. Absolutely. Not alone at all. Um, and definitely the last year has been a huge year of reflection. I've had, I've had a lot of clients come in and say, well, now that I realize because I had time to feel and, and reflect and see, <laughs> I have some things to talk through. <laughs> all right. You take care. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to the Bliss with Chris podcast please be sure to visit blisswithchris.com to join the mailing list and to receive updates about my upcoming book, Find Your Bliss, A 20-Something Guide to Life. See you in the next episode.